Chapter 9. The Clockwork Metropolis. Rass would have flipped out of the hammock entirely if it weren't for his leg tangling in the netting. A dull roar filled the area from every direction. Where? He shouted as he slipped out of one of his boots to expedite his extraction. As the world came into focus, he spotted Callie sitting on the floor, hugging her legs. She pointed up. I don't want to blow up. Blow up, Rass thought. Rass scrambled up the ladder to get above deck and squinted at the sudden rush of light as the sound grew louder. His eyes adjusted to the daylight, allowing him to notice the small green tongues of flame showering down around the ship. They sizzled when intercepted by falling drops of water. As best Rass could tell, the ship wasn't on fire. He leaned over the edge to spot the source. A convergence drifted high above the ship. Rain pattered on Rass's face and one of the green tongues of flame dissipated as it almost came into contact with him. Are you watching over us? Rass asked half to himself. Peeling his attention from the burning sky, Rass looked out and spotted a cascade of water pouring down into a larger pool. That explains the sound from last night. He wished he was more cognizant of his surroundings to appreciate them, then remembered the terrified Callie below deck. Sticking his head down into the hold, Rass said, It's all right, we're all right. Not garnering a response, he climbed down the meter. Hey, it's just a convergence. Rass was fairly certain that phrase had never been uttered before. He kneeled down to her huddled form. You shouldn't be near me, she said, tears forming. What's going on? Rass began, not moving. I'm a knack, Rass. I'm a knack and I'm going to blow up. You can't be, said Rass. Yes, I can. That's why I have my headaches. That's why my parents put me in the basement. The doctors say I'm so sensitive to energy that I could go at any minute and a convergence is right above us. She sobbed, her body heaving with each gasp of air. Suddenly, the basement prison made so much more sense. She was Mr. Torbian's supposed time bomb baby. Rass wrapped his arms around her instinctively. Hey, hey, it's all right. You're not an act. Trust me. Why do you keep saying that? She asked. Because you're closer to a convergence than anyone has a right to be and you haven't blown up, Rass said. Look at yourself. You don't even have energy poisoning. He unwrapped one of her arms from her legs and brought her hand up in front of her. Your skin turns gray before you blow up. What color do you see? Kelly took a deep, shuddering breath. Not gray? Not gray? Not gray. She smiled sweetly and tears began forming in her eyes again. She wiped one away, laughing. <laughs> for the longest time, I wouldn't let myself really believe I was a knack. But until you know for sure, there's still a little part of you that wonders if the next moment's going to be your last. I guess that settles that. I'd say it does. Breathe deep, Callie. There's a new old world out there with nothing to be afraid of. Well, at least nothing from the wind. Rass amended, releasing the embrace and patting her on the shoulder. Come on. The fire's really pretty if you don't think it'll kill you. He stood and offered his hand. She looked up and suppressed a laugh as she noticed Rass's wild hair. His morning bedhead was something Emma teased him about relentlessly, and having Callie see him like this was its own special brand of mortifying. He quickly tried to tame it by licking a palm and running it over the hair that wouldn't pick a direction. I call it windswept. All the wind merchants are doing it. Uh-huh. She giggled as she accepted his hand and stood. Above deck, Callie gave names to everything, pointed out the waterfall pouring into the river. Is there a chance we could go down to the ground? Let's save Verdant from sinking first, Rass said. But how about you find where we are on the map, and I promise I'll take you here after everything's finished. A fourth promise? As long as you don't tell anybody about this, he said, circling a finger around his hair. Deal. They stared at the waterfall through the tongues of flame for another minute before Rass said, So the headaches don't mean you're a knack? She nodded. Maybe someday I'll figure out what's wrong with me. I'm not seeing anything. Rass said before leaving to clean up and prep the fox for the flight to Duralier. After a quick breakfast and raising the anchor, they returned to their positions on the bridge. With a subcloud course plotted, Rass propped the wheel and took a brief walk to stretch his legs to pass the time and gaze at the lush world below. Clouds were simple in their grayscale palette until the sun set them ablaze, but 
Having stared at them his entire life, the changing vista of the ground was a feast for the eyes. Rest felt much safer flying where few dared to tread, bolstering his hopes that as long as they could continue to stay beneath the clouds, their trip might be hopefully uninteresting. Callie used the next five hours to display her knowledge of the world below, educating Rass on what everything they could see was called, and even tossed in some animal names. Honestly, I've always wondered what a fox was, Rass said. They're cute, Callie said, with their little paws and white snouts. Cute, huh? And cunning, Callie said, attempting to dissuade any thought of renaming the vessel. People used to think of them as sly. I guess that makes it better. They watched the landscapes change from lush to arid, noting the occasional shadow cast on the clouds above, and even the rare wind merchant collection tube trolling through. Rass pointed to a small circular gap in the clouds far ahead. The sky just beneath it shimmered in a heated distortion. What is that? Derailier. Its engines push so much it's one of the few places in Atmo you can sneak a peek at the ground. Rass remembered his father telling him the exact same thing. As a young boy afraid of heights, he imagined the massive city falling through its self-manufactured hole. Then again, the young boy also thought the clouds were solid and bouncy. Do you see what it's connected to? Rass asked, using a finger to draw a line in the air, pointing out a cable that looked as thin as thread from such a distance. It reached down to what looked like a domed version of a floating city sitting on the land. The Winnower, Callie said reverently. So that means... Underneath that thing is the origin of all energy. Trapped, Rass said. They relocated Derailier here after building the Winnower to fuel the city more efficiently, and cut off Sky Pirates from the resource. And choking Verdant, Callie said. The large glass dome of the Winnower glowed a vivid green, filtering out whatever energy the origin would have normally kicked out to the winds. The ground surrounding the structure looked dead and barren. We're probably still half an hour out, Rass said, eyeing the distance. It's going to look that small for a while. He said to Callie before making his way to the helm to pull back on the wheel. The brass fox climbed steadily above the cloud level, joining a cluster of airships on their way to the city. If any of that caravan was surprised by the newcomer, thankfully none of them showed it, or else they just chalked up the surprise to a wearying journey nearly concluded. The city itself was admittedly magnificent with its towering skyline above a stabilization ring, as though it were two cities mirrored. It was truly ten times the size of Verdant, if not more. Ships queued up in long lanes for trade and sightseeing at the hub of Atmo, and the brass fox had to slow to a crawl and wait for its turn to enter the city. Oh my dear sweet goodness, Callie said in a gasp, holding her hands over her mouth. I feel so small. Just wait till we get closer, Rass said, happy to play tour guide. But having not seen the city in so long, the sense of wonder was not wholly lost on him either. My dad used to bring me pocket watches from here when the collection runs took him this way, Rass said. I bet it'd be impossible to find the shop he went to. What made you want to collect pocket watches? Callie asked. It's what he brought me, so they reminded me of him. Oh, I'll be right back, Kelly said before running down to the captain's quarters. The brass fox was queued up behind a much larger luxury tour vessel painted green, and behind her were a couple of personal skiffs. Russ had never seen skiffs that could fly like a ship before, as all the ones on Verdant could only fly five feet from the ground. Must be a new kind of motor. Rass observed the traffic patterns closely as they entered the main channel of the city. He didn't know the rules of the skies when it came to flying through the city, as he was used to just flying over one. He gawked at the levels upon levels of walkways lining the channel and the oddly dressed people going about their day. Brightly colored shop signs made their best attempt to draw in customers who weren't waiting in lines for public transport. Someone's yelling at Rass snapped him out of his sightseeing. He jerked the ship to starboard to avoid collision with what looked like another wind merchant vessel. The unfriendly gesture the other pilot gave indicated there was no spirit of brotherhood. Callie stepped out in what Rass guessed was her best attempt at a disguise. She wore a black bowler hat and one of Rass's jackets, swimming in the dark green fabric. I hope you don't mind, she said. No, it's not a bad idea. I just think a walking pile of clothes might draw more attention, he chided. Hey, this isn't Verdant. Just look around. I'm not going to stand out like this. She gestured to the people walking on the streets, and Rass saw that was right. It would be difficult to stand out. He'd never seen such a diverse group of people living so packed in together. 
Billboards and advertisements hung from tall buildings and promoted products ranging from the newest model of Helios engine to the bizarre item that Rask couldn't discern if children were supposed to play with or eat. Don't you just want to live here? Callie said, soaking in every new, weird, and fascinating detail Derailleur had to offer. She waved like she was on a parade float. She spotted a little girl dressed head to toe in a deep royal blue who was walking along the channel with her mother. The little girl smiled and waved back until her mother pulled her along. Rask wrinkled his nose at some new offending odor. This doesn't feel crowded? Of course it does. It feels alive. She took a deep breath in and choked a little. Well, no place is perfect. After an hour of crawling traffic, they finally saw the opening to the eastern end of Derailleur. On the right stood a massive statue of Foster Helios Sr., holding an outstretched hand as if about to pluck a star from the sky. It was in the courtyard for the headquarters of the Collective. Callie turned to Rass. Did Hal realize where he was sending us? She pointed down the way at an illuminated sign on the building next to the Collective's headquarters that boldly read, Flint's. That's inconvenient, Rass said, grimacing. There was little they could do but putter past the building and hope that Flint didn't ask too many questions. Foster Helios III sat at his desk on the 65th floor of the Collective's headquarters. The office, like the mansion, had its decor stripped and lent the white room an austere feel. He pored over the report on his desk, acknowledging the man entering on the opposite side of the room with a slight lift of his hand. How many ships do we have out there looking for him? Foster asked. A full detachment scattered in 300-mile radius between Duralier and the Bull, the uniformed man said, stopping at Foster's desk. And nothing, Foster said, closing the folder. Did you send a dive team to search beneath the clouds? No, sir, I didn't imagine they would risk. What then do you imagine they did to evade 200 ships? Foster asked. We do have a lead on who was aboard the ship, sir, the man said. He placed two sheets of paper with sketches on Foster's desk. There have been reports of a kidnapper leaving the Bull, and the vessel matches the description of the one that met with Napier. Foster nodded, then dismissed the man with a shooing gesture. Put out a bulletin across all collective ships. We want Miss Torbillion returned safely to her father. Flyers, billboards, newspaper ads, blanket it. I want everyone to know her face. A referral. I love referrals, Flint said, scratching his bushy beard before ushering Rass and Callie into his office. They followed the mountain of a man wearing greasy overalls and a smile through the doorway into his office. He led them into the mostly windowed room, motioning for them to sit in the iron chairs in front of his desk. Who sent you? I'll give them a discount next time, he said with a beaming smile that crinkled his dark brown eyes. I'm afraid we can't exactly say, Rass said. Flint plopped the bag of money on his desk and made quick work of the purse strings with his thick hands. He reached inside and extracted a note. An impeccable penmanship, it read, Please accommodate my friends as best you can, Flint. He chuckled. Nice friends you got. He tucked the note into a pocket next to a dingy red rag and dug deeper into the bag to see what sort of budget the young couple had. Satisfied, he looked out at the brass fox, which was held in a suspension rig. The vessel was dwarfed in his repair bay. Let's have a look-see. Uh, one of the engines won't start, Rass said. Sure, sure. I'm surprised you made it all the way from... Uh... He turned back to the pair sitting on the couch. Where did you say you were from? He asked as he fanned through the stack of bills. I'm afraid we didn't, Rass said. Well, then I'm afraid you might have to pay a higher discretion fee. Discretion fee? Callie asked. Sure. I have nosy neighbors, and anything not done on the level winds up costing me extra. Grease money. He shrugged. It's not like I get to keep the money, but I also don't like getting shut down. Besides, I doubt your friend wouldn't have sent you here with a bag of money if I wasn't the best. You were asking us to sell ourselves out? Callie asked, prompting a groan from Russ. What? It's fine if you don't want to say, Flint said, standing and walking to his office window. Just know I charge extra if I find out I'm being lied to. But let's focus on what you need first, and then we'll see where we stand. The cordial grin returned. Now... 
Are we looking to fix that engine or replace the set? It was requested that we upgrade, Ras said. Do you disagree? Ras shrugged. A lot of sacrifice went into getting those engines. Well, they're classic Windstrider scoops. Nothing beats them if you're flying low or below cloud cover, but who does that, right? Won't fly you very high, though. Are you looking for Helios engines? If that's the best option. I have never heard of a man less excited about free upgrades, Flint said with a laugh. What's wrong with a Helios engine, Kelly asked. Well, they have a bad habit of breaking if they get too much raw energy around them, Flint said, so you better not fly too low. Plus, you have to buy fuel, Flint paced, causing the floor to creak. How about I leave the working Windstrider as a backup and put a couple of Helios in? Flip that, Ras said. Add a Helios as a backup and fix the broken Windstrider, he said resolutely. I don't like paying for fuel and flying low doesn't bother me. Brave man. But a rebuild of a Windstrider costs more than a new Helios. To be honest, I do not know how they make them so cheap. It's because they make them so cheap, Ras said, deadpanning. They do, don't they? But there ain't enough money in this bag for a rebuild plus a Helios, plus the discretion fee. Come on, Ras said, protesting. Come on nothing, Flint said. You've still got my interest piqued. How's about you tell old Flint who sent you my way and I'll make sure a little bit stays in the bag? You won't even have to tell me your names or where you're from. Callie looked over at Ras, arching an eyebrow. Nobody would believe him. All right, deal, Ras said. Flint grunted in approval. Do you know a Deus? Can't say I do, Flint said. He works for... Rass leaned in close, prompting Flint to do the same. He whispered, Hell Napier. Hell, Flint bellowed. I haven't seen that old coot in at least a dozen years. Needed some work done on the old fisher. Well, now the sack of money makes much more sense. Rass stood. If you get a chance, the steering to port is a bit sluggish. Don't worry, you won't even recognize her when you pick her up. Just give me about seven hours and I'll have her turned around for you. Just be sure to put in a good word with me for Napier. I'd love to get my wrench back on the fissure. The wind merchant and his navigator became cautious tourists as they left Flint's. Ras procured a map, and the second order of business was to hand it to Callie before she snatched it from him after taking three time-wasting wrong turns. After half an hour of taking in the sights, sounds, and smells along Callie's correct route, they arrived at the library. It's bigger than the entire university, she exclaimed. The building's marble columns shot to the sky at the top of the stairs they began to climb, giving the structure an otherworldly feel. You know, Ras said breathlessly, placing a hand on the thick marble column to steady himself after their ascent, you don't realize how little you move when your entire job revolves around a steering wheel and some buttons. You feel like you're going everywhere, but you're really not. He looked up at the non-winded Callie. Don't give me that look. Callie just smiled as she walked through the threshold of the tall double doors and into the foyer. Her shoes lightly echoed on the ornate tile floor and she stared up at the tall stained glass windows that failed to let any light in through them. Frowning, she looked back at Ras. I'm guessing when this thing was built there weren't any skyscrapers next to it? Ras held a deep breath. I think that's a fair assessment. He looked ahead of them to the rows upon rows of books. The vaulted ceilings in the foyer showed the beginnings of two more floors. He looked around nervously and felt exposed in the open even though nothing pointed to anyone taking a particular interest in them. Where do we begin? Callie began walking in the maze to the dark bookshelves and dusty tomes. First stop, history. She traced a finger along the guide at the end of one of the bookshelves. 2H, section 8. Second floor, Ras asked, craning his neck to the right in an attempt to read a few spines. Why would they have cookbooks here? Why not? Callie shrugged, but her smile was permanently affixed. They continued deeper into the library, occasionally coming across a sparsely populated reading area until they reached a matched pair of spiral staircases. Rass looked up to see they reached high above a taller section of the library that seemed to climb a dozen floors, if not more. 
They walked to the stairwell, ascending each metal step in a corkscrew until they reached the second floor. Callie began looking around at the ends of the bookcases for their designations. Can I help you, miss? An elderly gentleman pushing a metal book cart asked. He wore a frock bearing the library's logo and smiled eagerly at the opportunity to be of service. You have that look about you. Do I look lost? Callie asked. She looked down at the man's name tag. Wilfred. No, no, no. You look plenty at home, young miss. You just have the look of someone who's ready to begin, but might need to be pointed in the right direction, is all. Wilfred tried to comb down the wild white wisps of hair into something more streamlined, but failed. Rass leaned in. We should probably... He'll save us some time, Callie said, still smiling. Yes, I'm looking for a good book on the weapons the elders used during the war. Wilfred gave a soft chuckle. Now that's a first. And you, young sir? I'll have what she's having, Ress said, jutting a thumb at Callie. Two orders of military history coming right up, if you'll follow me, Wilfred said, spinning the cart with a squeaky wheel and disappeared down a set of aisles. I like him. He's cute, Callie said. Like a fox? Hopefully not like a fox. Callie walked toward Wilfred, waving her hand for Ress to follow. They caught up with the old man momentarily, easily tracking the squeaky wheel. Now, I thought the university was on break. Did some sadistic professor give you an assignment for next term? Wilfred asked, raising a wispy white eyebrow. Oh, no, sir, just naturally curious, Callie said. He stopped the cart and turned to look at Callie. A grin spread wide. Good on you. Now, you might find better luck learning about the elders in the folklore section. He reached out and pulled two red leather-bound books with golden edges on their pages. But these are the crowd favorites on the Clockwork War. That should get you started while I go find something out of folklore. Clutching the books to her chest, she half-skipped to an area with four stuffed chairs surrounding a table before plopping into the one facing the atrium. Best idea ever. She ran her hand over the cover that held the embossed title, The War of Time, Volume 1. She looked down at the author's name. Deus Ophanim. Ras? Callie handed him Volume 2 as he approached. How many deuses do you think there are? Are or were? Ras asked, inspecting the book as he sat in the chair left of Callie. It might be him. I mean, he was in the middle of everything, after all. Russ cracked the book open, and now he makes eggs. I tried asking Hal everything I could about the war while you were unconscious, Kelly said, but maybe Deus will be a bit more helpful. She flipped to the first few pages. Ooh, a first edition. What am I looking for? Russ asked. Most sources say that the Great Overload didn't happen until the Elders were shut into the wild. Some say it was before that. I'd start with the last battle over treading and see if the book mentions the city of Bogues erupting first, Callie said, already half lost in her book. Rast turned to the table of contents and ran a finger down to the last chapter. The Battle of Bogues. Sounds promising. Callie looked up, eyes dancing with excitement. There wasn't a Battle of Bogues. The war ended after treading. Or did it? Rast flipped to the end of the book, fanning the paper until he hit the final chapter. The pages were blank. Rass held up the open book to show Callie, who reached over and snatched it from him, flipped back a few pages to scan the passage about treading, then forward to the blank pages. She shut the book and inspected the binding. The gilding on the paper is a different shade of gold. Someone actually went through the trouble to bind and paint it so nobody would notice the missing pages. Hey, at least you know you're onto something. We just need to figure out what happened in Bogues. The squeaky wheel announced Wilfred's imminent arrival. Callie shot up from her seat, rushing to him with the blank pages exposed. Well now, what's this? Wilfred asked, examining the paper. Someone rebound blank pages here, Callie said, offering the book. Wilfred took it, stacking it atop two other books. He then carefully placed his reading glasses atop his nose and furrowed his brow, inspecting it. Perhaps it is a misprint. I can check with the front desk to see if we have another edition in the archives. My apologies, Wilfred said with a serious nod. In the meanwhile, I've brought you a book on folklore from one of the territories closest to the wild. 
the demons of Bogues. He offered a cotton-bound purple hardback. And a children's book. Callie looked at the illustrated cover Wilfred still held. It showed two clockwork elders, one with decidedly feminine features, all standing above the title. The littlest elder? Wilfred chuckled. I'm afraid the great overload didn't leave much time to document the subject. He placed the War of Time Volume 2 in his cart and turned to head toward the front desk. What did we get? Callie tucked the War of Time Volume 1 underneath her arm and held up each book for Rass to see. I call the one with pictures, Rass said. The sound of footfalls clapping on the tile echoed through the library. Rass and Callie turned their attention to the man in a collective uniform running up to the information desk, arriving just before Wilfred. The man in uniform placed two stacks of posters with dark black print atop each. What does this say? Callie said. My eyes aren't the best. Rass squinted. One says wanted, the other... Oh no. What? Kidnapped. He could only assume whose faces were sketched underneath. We have to go. Now. Before Wilfred could study the posters, Rass pulled Callie into an unoccupied aisle. He heard a muffled sniffle beneath the hat and oversized green jacket, and he lifted the front brim of the bowler to see Callie's wet eyes look up at him. What have I done? She said in a whimper. You didn't do anything. Exactly. If I had laid everything out in front of my parents instead of just leaving, you'd still be stuck in a basement in a sinking city, Rass whispered. Just look at where you are now. I'm in the library I've always dreamed of, but I can't enjoy because the sweet old man is probably going to realize who he was talking to any second now and will be trapped, she sniffled. I'm sorry. Let's just add this to the list of places I'll take you. Sound good? She took a deep breath, let it out slowly, and nodded. We need to get to the first level. I doubt there's any exits up here. Rass led Callie to the spiral staircase and quickly descended and hid behind the nearest bookshelf. Rass peeked out to see two security guards walking in from outside and setting up a post at the entrance. He ducked back into the aisle. How about a very quick tour to see if there's a back exit? His eyes darted around as he tried to imagine the best course of action, and they fell on Callie. Good call on the hat. They walked to the end of the aisle, away from the entrance and the information desk, then turned, following a side wall deeper into the building. Rass caught a glimpse of more security guards amassing around the information desk, taking flyers and studying them. So much for friendly librarians, Rass said. He ducked low and looked ahead of him to see a set of tables for readers before the bookshelves resumed. The gap would leave them exposed. There were a few readers scattered about the tables, so crawling underneath would surely alert the guards. Swami jackets, Rass whispered. Kelly obliged and they swapped as quietly as possible. And the hat. Rass on the hat, tucking all his hair underneath. I guess looking different is a start, Kelly said. I'll walk across first. They'll be trying to spot two people, Rass said. If I make it across unnoticed, wait a moment before you follow. Wait, what do I do if they chase you? She asked. I don't know, throw a book at them or knock over a shelf. She looked at him like he had just asked her to skin a kitten with a dull spoon. Rass picked a particularly large book off the shelf and cracked it open. He began walking as casually as he could manage with his head down, checking to make sure that he at least held the book right side up and pretended to read. Heavy footsteps indicated the guards breaking off from the information desk, but Rass didn't look up to give him a free glance at his face. Thankfully, none of the footfalls seemed to be heading toward him. Making it across the open area, he placed the book on a nearby shelf. He looked back at Callie, who held a stern expression, gesturing something about taking a book off the shelf, and Rass realized she was getting onto him for misplacing the book. Rass did his best not to roll his eyes and motion for her to cross over. She slowly made her way out to the open area, but was only a few footsteps in when a guard shouted. Callie froze. Hey, stop her! A voice from above shouted. Rass ran over to Callie to grab her. He looked up to the balcony to see the guard wasn't facing them at all. A thunderous crash resounded and dust flew up from the opposite side of the room a good distance away. The crash was followed by another, then another. Rass watched the tops of one bookshelf after another topple in a cascade. 
All those books, Callie murmured. Look at the front door, Rast said, pointing as security guards filed in toward the commotion and away from the front door. That's our cue. Rast looked over and realized that the bookshelves would topple and eventually cut off their exit. It became a race to see if they could get back before the final bookcase fell, blocking their escape. They darted back to the same aisle that led to the staircase as the crashing sound grew louder. At some point, the cascade doubled into two directions and the toppling bookcases took a shortcut toward the front door. Run! Rest shouted as they entered the foyer, joining into a mix of other frantic citizens. The increased frequency of the crashes concerned him as they still had 200 feet to clear and only three bookshelves left to outrun. Rast saw a book cart and began to push it. The next to last bookshelf collided into the final one by the door. Rast shoved the cart forward as the final shelf toppled and did so just in time. The bookshelf crashed down on the metal box and the remaining gap gave about three feet of clearance through which to escape. Rast slid down to his hands and knees and began to crawl over a pile of books underneath the heavy bookshelf. The wheels on the cart snapped, dropping the shelf by half a foot. Rast flinched but scrambled out and spun around to offer a hand to Callie, who hesitated as the metal cart's sides began to creak and bend. Come on, he shouted to Callie. She shook her head as the cart groaned. It's now or never. Clutching the books to her chest, he got down and began to crawl forward. Rass reached underneath and hauled her out just before the cart fully buckled and collapsed under the weight of the shelf, effectively blocking the entrance. What was that? Callie asked weakly. Let's just let them sort that out, he said, then pointed to the books. Smart move on keeping those. Oh no, I didn't check these out, she said. I'm a criminal. Rast gently grabbed her shoulders and guided her away from the building. I'm sure we'll return them on the way back, Rast said, perking up at the sound of sirens. I doubt the police will be cross-checking the stamps and the books. They descended the marble staircase as quickly as their adrenaline-filled legs would carry them, catching up with the rest of the escapees and blending into the commotion as the derailleur police arrived. The uniformed men seemed far more focused on whatever was going on inside the library. In the distance, they heard glass shattering and more shouting come from the direction of the library. We should probably just wait it out at Flint's. Kelly said, disappointment hanging heavy on her voice. No, we, we don't have to. Rest took the hat off and gave it back to her. Looks better on you, he said. Besides, there might be people waiting for us at Flint's now. Worst comes to worst, we'll sneak on board and steal the ship back. Either way, I don't want to spend my day in one place afraid we're going to be found, he said. Kelly attempted a smile, but failed. Why don't we check out the shop your dad used to bring you back pocket watches from? That'd be nice. They walked along the sidewalk, far enough away from the library that things seemed peaceful once again. Help me! A voice pierced the calm. Down the alley to their left, three figures brawled, or more correctly, two large men kept a small woman from escaping by throwing her against the nearby dumpster.